Revolting is a production of the Cycling Independent, with the support of listeners like you, and this month, the support also of the master bike builders at Seven Cycles. TCI is a community-supported, community-focused site dedicated to the whole of cycling. The Cycling Independent, we say, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 89, Where the F*** is Waldo? Oh, boy. We use bad words and talk about stuff that'll make you low-key nauseous. Uh, this is your last chance to make a better decision about how you spend the next hour. And it might even be hour and change, you know? We're like, we're mixing things up a little bit. Sometimes we go to an hour, three minutes. Hmm? Oh. Yeah. You like apples? can't pin us down don't play us off stage patrick no. he's gonna uh that's what he does if you don't hear the last uh like 10 words out of our mouths it's because patrick turned the music up and turned all the lights up and is like ushering people out the side door <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go home but you can't stay <laughs> Thank here you for your time goodbye uh <laughs> would uh, man we were just having so many conversations about so many things and then robot said hey we're kind of burning gold here and then i started thinking about when um for a long time a very well not a long time but, but there there have been times when various people encouraged me to get involved in doing a podcast and i said no because like i've turned my whole life into some sort of like cash grab where i'm trying to make money being me uh, uh to whatever su- success or failure and uh, my conversations are the last thing that I have that I can kind of keep for myself. And then, and now I'm doing a podcast and I have this conversation with my friend and we can't just have a conversation because we got to hit a record button because there's a lot of good stuff that happens on before, or that happens before we start recording. Um, so I'm kind of in this constant conflict. Uh, but but I do think that maybe it's worth kind of circling circling around on some of the um, some of the stuff that we were getting into. If you do, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, before we do anything, I want to just say thanks to everyone who reached out about Django over the last week. Uh, people who who listened actually listened to all of the last episode. I didn't um, because. If you heard it, you know I was in a bad place, um, and it was really nice to have people bear with us. I mean, generally we're just fart jokes and uh, and chit chat. Uh, but last week was a little bit heavy. I I think I I almost don't even remember it. Mm-hmm. And so it was really nice to have a lot of people. Um, you know, Nick and Carlos and Christina and. Just a lot of people, uh, Dirty Randy, uh, who had nice things to say. Uh, I appreciate it a lot, a lot. And we were talking about the cycles of grief, and I was saying that I'm in a better place this week because I think last week and like right after it happened, I couldn't accept, I was having a really hard time accepting it. 
Like it seemed really unfair and uncool and not right. And I just was having a hard time accepting it. And that led to a lot of like tears and anger and just general despondency. And this week I'm, I'm much more thinking about like all the funny jokes that Django told. Uh, I'm just doing a lot more chuckling and a lot less crying. So I'm in a much, I'm in a much better place, but it was also life affirming to have people that I know and people that I don't know. Just be nice about it. It's, uh, it's something that, you know, I think uh, everybody can relate to. And I think that this is, uh, maybe kind of a, um, I don't know. Um, uh, a description, a, a clear description of the sort of like the sort of people who come here is that there's this commonality, but but you know heartbreak mm. is uh, heartbreak is a uh, uh, foundational and weak, and anybody who's experienced that kind of loss and that kind of sadness uh, can get it. You know, talking about like seeing the you know seeing the end of the road or he's you, this is you know that it's coming some someday um and maybe it's you know you people are like wow this is gonna happen and it's it's on paper and and like you've been given kind of a a, a concrete time frame or you you know that it's it's somewhere on the horizon but you you're not quite there yet you just know that it's coming and that's really um a f- fundamental piece of giving your heart to somebody else, another being or whatever. So, uh, I thought it was really sweet that, you know, people reached out to me, uh, to, to holler at you. Um, but it's something that we all kind of can, uh, I don't know, have in common, I guess. Um, yeah. And I like that our podcast has become, uh, uh, a gathering place for people who want to contemplate their mental health struggles, their heartbreaks, and the time their friend farted really loud in a bookstore. It's, 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 <laughs> it's a pretty beautiful combination of uh, experiences and perspectives. Did you like the first three sword records <laughs> and wonder what earwax tastes like? This is the podcast for you. Uh, uh, yes. Oh, okay. This is one thing that I was thinking about. We talked about this a little bit. Like we we're, t- we're talking about the, the stages of grief and I can only remember three of the seven, I think, and I'm not going to bother looking it up and maybe there are only three and I only sort of w- loosely remember that I ever heard that there were seven. Um, but you, just because you j- kind of hop scotch, no piggyback, no, uh, leapfrog, like you'll go past one and then you'll circle back to another and then Maybe you'll get to a place where you feel like you're really kind of making some headway and then all of a sudden you're feeling you're back to square one. Like you're starting this process all over again. And um, this one therapist who I talked to uh, because I tend to be a visual learner and every every description I have is some sort of an analogy. Like I realize it's and I've been like this since I was in high school like i have to have these tangible and sort of concrete um visuals or or cues that i can use to to convey an idea but um she she was besides describing the healing process as being a linear one or not necessarily a linear one she described it kind of as uh it might be a spiral 
And so while you're traveling this path forward and feel like you're getting better, or you're making headway, then all of a sudden you're, you feel like you're back to square one when you're not, you're just right. If you think of the, what, you know, like what a spiral looks like, you're not back to where you started. You might, you might be right next to where you were when you started, but you, you still are, you know, miles ahead of, of where you were at the beginning. And that analogy has helped me through a lot of stuff where I feel like I'm just kind of stuck in the mud, you know, and like, I'm not getting any headway. I'm not making any, I'm not making any advancements. I'm not getting better. I'm just constantly getting in my own way. Uh, but it's a different getting in your own way. You're, you're not the same person you were a month ago. And, you know, uh, that can be really frustrating. The emotional, the process of emotional healing isn't something where you can watch a wound heal up and you can watch, watch it uh, happen in stages where it's just like, no, no, it's six months later and I still feel like shit. So am I getting anywhere? Am I getting fixed? Am I, am I feeling better? I don't see it. Um, I think what happens for me sometimes, I mean, I, I, I have a, um, I have a chronic low grade depression problem, uh, but it's like cyclical. Like sometimes I feel great. I feel fine and I'm fun to be around and I'm funny, uh, you know, five out of 10 and, um, you know, things are fine. And then I kind of like tail off. And what happens when I'm not feeling well is that I begin to conflate like little bullshit going on with my depression, or I'll like take something like losing my dog and I'll bring it in to the party and just to make things worse. And it's sort of like all this stuff going on around you and in your past is sticky and sometimes it gets drawn into a situation that has nothing to do with any of those things. And I think that's that sense of like, oh, I've, I can grieve. I can be in the like pit of grief over Django again because I'm in this other place. Um, but what I've learned over time, and this is, I think, is the progress, is that actually they're not related. Oh, actually, they're no, not only related. in that it's experience. It's their tangible experiences that you're having. But to lay them on top of each other uh, doesn't do you yeah. a service at all. Well, it, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I, like I used to work for this guy, Rob, who was um, who was pretty funny and pretty clever. And he would say that, like, sometimes when life gets to be too much, he just has to cry for all the dead grandmothers and then he feels better. And he would, he would literally like, this was his trigger. He would be in a bad place and he'd be like, I need to release all of this. And he would just start thinking about everyone's grandma who had died and he would have a good cry and then he would move on. Wow. That reminds me, I read a thing a couple of weeks ago that said like, I, I don't know if this is a, uh, this comes from a, uh, another place culturally, or this was just some random theory that somebody came up with. I feel like this has something to do with Japanese culture because it seems like the things that I read about in Japanese culture are so poetic and so graceful and so beautiful. Um, it said that it was describing like these random bouts of depression that some that people sometimes experience that are seemingly for no reason. You are mourning the loss of someone who had no one to mourn them. Oh, shit. And so, God damn it, I wish I could remember where I read that. Um, 
yeah, you're you're just, you're mourning for the unknown, not a person who was like lost and had no one, and you and their yeah. their loss or that grief is is randomly cosmically assigned to you. I was like, holy shit, fuck that! <laughs> I man, I'd forgotten about that. I need to write that down. It was put so succinctly whenever I found it, wherever I found it. Uh yeah. Uh, it obviously didn't make such an impression on it on me that I like have carried it with me, but I'm really glad that I was able to remember it here. I mean, you don't remember your middle name many names of the week days of the week, so I I don't I wouldn't read too much into that. It is a nice concept. You know, I haven't had that many concussions, uh, but I, the way my brain works, I feel like maybe I'm suffering the effects of concussions that other people have had that they have forgotten about. <laughs> Similar, yeah. similarly <laughs> concussions that weren't <laughs> properly felt uh what are we doing today um well today's episode is called where the fuck is waldo i didn't say where the fuck is waldo at the beginning because i'm a fucking professional yeah. and i waited until after the content warning to start with the profane profanities um yeah so where the fuck is waldo you know this amused me i was like i want to do i want to tell travel stories and i want to hear steve's travel stories and then what what is a good travel uh thing and i was like oh where's waldo and then i imagined you in the stripy sweater and the stripy hat and i had like a good little laugh all on my own about that and then i wrote the notes i used to messenger with a guy named casey and for a long time i thought his name was waldo because everybody called him that but he yeah. looked exactly like Waldo. And then I was like, man, what are the what are the chances of somebody named Waldo who actually looks like Waldo? And they said, no, nah, his name's Casey. There's just another Casey. <laughs> There's just another Casey, but we call him. We call that Casey Casey, and we call the other Casey Waldo, so there's no confusion. I'm like, fuck. He even, he even had the round glasses, and, and he was super tall and thin and had um, brown hair. And wore a stripey sweater and a stripey uh, pom-pom may, hat all the time. He may have... He may have done that. I don't know. Like leaned into it? Yeah, he may have done that at some point. He owns or was an owner, ended up being an owner of a music venue in San Francisco. And uh, as I said, he's he's very tall. And the first show I ever saw there, I think I went to see the Dirt Bombs play there. And I swear to God, it was like a bus full of fucking basketball players got dropped off and they all came in. I was... I'm six one, and I was easily the shortest person in the room. I'm like, what? And and, <laughs> and Waldo was like six three, so I thought maybe he like he's like a a member of a secret super tall person club. Nowhere, no matter where I stood at the show, I couldn't see because uh, everybody. I'm five nine. That's every, every show for me. Everybody. I'm like this woman in front of me is huge. What is going on? <laughs> Like I gotta sit on somebody's shoulders to see the van. It was weird. I also I also have it. Um, there's a weird sort of cosmic uh, uh, occurrence that every time I'm at a show, if there's the tallest tallest fuck person in the room, they inevitably, no matter where I'm standing, and as I say, I've said uh, I always stand on the right side of the stage, facing the stage, like I'm, that's generally my spot. And maybe it's because my like peripheral vision and my in the left side of my left eye is a little bit better. So I can always see when people are coming and I can kind of brace myself if there's a pit or something. Um, but I know, like there's always these two one one or two gigantic people standing in front of me. Uh, 
And one, actually, one rocket from the Crip show, there was a super fucking tall dude and a super fucking wide dude, and they posted up right in front of me, but uh, being the interactive sort that um, uh, John Reese is, he's like, put your hands on the shoulders in front of the people in front of you, and I put my hands on this dude's massive fucking back, and he was like, everybody commune, and everybody like hug, and I was like, oh man, I like, now I feel super protected, like... I have this wall of people, two people in front of me that I can just kind of hug and hang on to and I'm safe. I feel ambivalent about this because part of me, I mean, the in my gut, I'm like, yeah, you're fucking tall. Stand in the back. Like, come on. Yeah. Come on. We all paid to get in here. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, they paid to get in. They should stand where they want to. St- I don't know. Yeah. I tend to. I think I tend to stand at like pretty acute angles, so I can kind of look across, and then I d- I have less tall people issues. I have. St- I'm totally super spatially aware. Uh, I mean, uh, if, like people around me, like I look behind me when I walk into a place. If there's somebody that I hold the door open for or whatever, like I'm always kind of like uh, scanning, like what's happening around me. And uh, same goes for shows and you know on the odd uh, event that i go to a movie theater i make sure not to wear my really tall uh fruit hat um fruit yep. basket hat uh yeah uh but and i tend i realized within the last year i think when i go to shows i stand with my knees bent i i lose like i cut like six inches off of myself i like kind of slink i like shrug or what's a, a slouch i slouch and i bend my knees so i then become like five five kind of like splay my feet out <laughs> well i i anymore when i go to shows i have to stand in a place where it's not like uh shoulder to shoulder because it i'm gonna have to do like deep knee bends <laughs> and like i'm gonna have to do some 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 yoga <laughs> as the show goes on like pretty much between the opening <laughs> band like between bands, I'm fully like in. I'm uh, in like a proud warrior seven or like whatever. I got to do all of that stuff, uh, cause I'm I'm just fucked up. Like the fl- the floor is so hard in those places, <laughs> and my lower back is like. You're not wearing sensible shoes for sure either. Like I'm not. Have you seen? I'm, have you I'm, seen pictures of Matt Pike? Uh, you know, high on fire, Matt Pike. Yes, uh, he yes. wears Skechers now. Like when he, <laughs> <laughs> he's not wearing the fucking boots. You know, he's not. He's, he's like so fucking metal. Like he is kind of our generation's Lemmy. Like there aren't that many yep. like tr- true blue rock and roll icons left. Matt Pike, that fucking dude is is it. Um, but he wears yep. like super sensible shoes on stage because. I think he's got diabetes, you know, <laughs> everything, everything's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It just, I, I'm not, I haven't quite accepted my, my eight, like I do stretch and do a bunch of dumb shit at shows, <laughs> but I'm doing it. I'm trying to do it on the down low. Like if there's a, a column or something, I kind of step over there and I'll do it. Cause you know, like you see young people look over their shoulder, like what is, what is grandpa doing? Yeah. What is he doing? Is that part of, especially if it's a band like a, like a, like an OG late eighties, early nineties band, they look back, they're like, is that a thing that they did? Is that part of it? And we just don't know. Cause we're used. No, I just, when I reach for my drink, that's on the table, I throw my leg up there to give myself just a little bit extra, uh, you know, uh, engagement. That's, that's, that's right. how we did it in the eighties. Oh Yeah. 
I used to kick drinks at people. That was part of being in a pit. You just kick the drink. Uh, I uh, had this vision when you're talking about that. Like we are of the age where bands are going to stop shows like mid performance and be like, okay, everybody like touch your toes, <laughs> do, a, do a couple of twists. <laughs> We're going to take a hydration break, everyone. Crack your uh, neck. What's, water only. Put your beer down for a second. Get some like real hydration in you. Oh, man. We're going to do a gentle torso twist. <laughs> That's so funny. When the Jesus Lizard went on, they toured uh, five years ago. I guess they did like five or seven shows. And there, I read an interview with the singer, David Yao, who was arguably one of the most like the dude was just a fucking tornado like at live shows yeah night in and night out um unparalleled and he's got to be if i'm 50 he's i think he's probably 57 now you know he's getting on and yep. he was like yeah, yeah. I've, I've had i had to go to the gym like i had to train to do these seven shows like it's not what it used to be you can't just drink yourself into you know shape there's a there's a right. lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of you know gotta do i gotta lift weights i gotta get my cardio up which <laughs> 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 is so funny i don't know if david yao has to go to the gym i, I should oh god i did, don't even know how i go to shows uh well go going to sh- i mean you're watching somebody else do all the work you know I know, but but even the standing is a lot for me. Even the standing. uh, Sometimes sometimes it looks like I'm dancing. I'm not. (laughs) I'm just trying to keep from falling down. My back hurts. I got to (laughs) move. When uh, I talked about that crash worship show in the junkyard in Denver in nineteen whatever eighty nineteen ninety, I think talked about it in a couple couple episodes ago because it was the anniversary, like the thirtieth anniversary of that show. Uh, yep. my friend that I, one of my friends that I went to the show with Pentabike Dave, he danced himself into such a fight. And he was like, at the time he was riding his bike always, he was really, really strong. Um, but he danced himself into such a, uh, such a way that he had to take the next day off of work. His legs hurt so bad, <laughs> <laughs> which might've been a side effect of being completely blown out on mushrooms that he'd. He did stuff that he didn't have the actual physical ability to. Well, two weeks ago, I went to Red Fang and I was standing there and I was banging my head and my neck went, oh, no, don't do don't don't do do that that. anymore. I've and then I was like, oh, come on, you're kidding me. And then I went back to doing it because, you know, the groove is so hard. And then I went back to doing it. I was like, nope, actually, I'm done with that. Yeah, the head banging (laughs) is a rough one for me. I got a bunch of like fucked up. Uh, vertebrae in my neck like there's degradation degradation there's degradation in there degrading vertebrae uh and i think it's both from riding uh t- hundreds of thousands of miles with my neck craned and also uh banging my head a lot when i was young so now uh banging my head uh fore and aft that's hard yeah. but side to side i got that shit on lock I figured out a way at a punk show like five or ten, five or eight years ago. I was like, oh, this is how I can get the the most bang for my buck is a is a side to side head shake. And there is a very uh, 
old school type of skanking that occurs with me. And uh, I'm kind of in the pit. I'm kind of not definitely fucking moving more than anybody around me. And but I'm not like getting in anybody's way. That's that's a sustainable punk show etiquette for for me. Uh, I uh, maybe I need to get to the side to side because I I was doing like a diagonal. <laughs> And I think that was ergonomically. (laughs) (laughs) That was ergonomically not sustainable for me. This is so fucked up. (laughs) Well, hey, let's do um, let's do music picks and then we'll take a break and then we'll do our where's where's Waldo stories. Uh, um, my music pick this week is Bikini Kill's third record, The Singles, which came out in 1998 and collects some stuff from uh, their first full lengths, Pussy Whipped and Reject All American. I think that's what it is. Anyway, I saw I watched a documentary about Kathleen Hanna. Over the weekend, uh, my wife went to see La Tigre last week, and I don't really like electronic uh, music, although I should know more because La Tigre is fun as fuck. Um, anyway, I watched this documentary and uh, I got I was like, oh, yeah, that music. So I, I listened to some of that again. And it's it's uh, it is of a time uh, and important. And I like it. Super important. I loved the the movement and the whole like you know, uh, riot girl and watching bands make space in this sort of macho nonsense yeah. and be super fierce and be super unapologetic about it. And it was just that was super. That was really really inspiring to me. Yeah, yeah. the The documentary was inspiring. Um, it for like a middle-aged white guy who likes to think he's a feminist, you know, it's definitely, it was definitely like a, are you like, what are you doing? How are you thinking? How are you like, it was a good, uh, it was like going back down some checklists of, of thoughts and behaviors and actions and, and, um, and and getting like stirred up about that stuff again in a positive way uh i liked the 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 documentary an awful lot um because it was very it was very real you know it got into what the challenges were you know it wasn't just it's easy to get into the the glory and the yay you know we all believe in this these things um but uh also to like think about the challenges then and the challenges now it was just good it was good i re- i really really liked it i wish that i had gone to the latigra show uh bernie was like oh do you want to go to the show and i was like oh there's going to be synthesizers no uh which was a dumb thing to think uh because i think it was probably really fun and like if you watch latigra's performances they look fun as fuck like they're doing talk about having to go to the gym before you perform um those guys are our age and they are getting after it. Brittany said at one point she looked up and Kathleen Hanna was just jumping rope on stage. <laughs> she was just like, I don't know, training for an upcoming fight. I don't know. Like, it's, uh, people, people like that are built of different stuff. 
you know, that, and, and I'm not even going to say that like, well, you know, she's been, she's been doing this for so long that, that, you know, she, it's sort of like there's muscle memory and stuff as I don't believe that's necessarily the truth. I just think that people like that are, like I said, they're built of different material than the rest of us normals. Well, one of the things that I really appreciated was her ability to bring energy to the stage, mm -hmm. uh, like right from the beginning and then like show after show after show. And she actually had, so Bikini Kill kind of shut down because she got Lyme disease. Oh, no shit. Bad, a, like a bad case that uh, she dealt with or maybe is still dealing with, um, but it took her like right out of action. Like Latigra ended as a band because she was no longer able to, to perform. She was sick all the time. And so it's only the last few years that I think she's getting back to making music and performing with both Bikini Kill and Latigra. Not really. I never heard that. And Lyme disease is nothing to fuck with. Ticks no. are the devil, no, man. no, no. Yeah, I had it once for a few days. No shit. I got the, I had the bites with the um, Art. bullseye and uh -huh. everything. And I was like, I was like, hey, I, <laughs> it was during the pandemic. So I like, I had to like make a video appointment with my doctor. And he's like, well, what makes you think you have Lyme disease? And I lifted my shirt up and he's like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's because you have Lyme disease. <laughs> Good Lord. It's like, there it is. I mean, we can run the test. We can have you come in and run the test, but. So. I don't know anything else that makes that mark. So I'm going to give you these um, horse antibiotics. He didn't say that. I'm making that up. Uh, but how does it how, how does it affect like different people get so sick where it, it affects them? I just read I just read about somebody it, uh, like somebody kind of notable died recently from Lyme disease. And I was like, how the fuck does that even happen in this day and age? I mean, how can you kind of have it or you have it, or I had a little bit, or I had it for a while. Like I thought once you had it, is it because you caught it early on? I think it's because I caught it early on and they give you a pretty heavy antibiotic. But once, if you let it go untreated, it gets into you deep. Mm -hmm deep and it gets into multiple systems and it really fucks you if you want to learn more about it there's this documentary about kathleen <laughs> hannah you don't you don't say yeah but i mean i think people who like it's it, like you feel like you have the flu all the time you have joint pain and joint stiffness uh and it goes on and oh, on geez. i mean i think maybe i have lyme disease yeah. that might be my problem I Maybe. saw an ad today about some kind of, they're like, are your eyes itchy? Are they blurry? <laughs> well, you might have like deadly eyeball disease. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's yeah. definitely what I've got. Like, I don't have allergies and I'm not just kind of tired, but I'm going blind. Right. I didn't get pencil shavings in my eye this morning. <laughs> I actually have deadly eyeball disease. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, oh, did I was going to ask, did you, have you ever seen a, any polar movie called Moxie? She has a, um, a high school yes. age daughter who like starts kind of like learning about mom's history and punk rock and um, fa making fanzines and shit like that. It's a real good one. Um, no, I didn't see that one. I'm confusing it with one where a young girl gets involved with roller derby. Oh, no, definitely not that. Uh, no. I know the one you're talking about, and I haven't seen it's, it yet, but I, w I would like to. It's real good. It's real good. I recommend you watch that, and I watch everybody watch that, because it's 
uh, it was a, a pandemic movie that kind of flew under the radar, uh, mid pandemic movie that kind of flew under the radar, but it's a real good one. Um, okay. Uh, my music pick of the week is the brand new mutoid man called mutants and it fucking rules. If you like mutoid man at all, I mean, there, there, it's like a real specific kind of sound, you know, like heavy, 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 heavy with the most melodic and uh, g- broadest range. Stephen Brodsky has an incredible voice and can do, he's kind of a little bit of a Mike Patton kind of character, like vocally, like he can do anything really, really well. Um, though that doesn't mean that he sounds anything like Mike Patton. He just has a lot of uh, a broad vocal skill set. Um, and this new record has, uh, what's the name? Matt Schick, uh, form played bass in, with high on fire before. And now he plays with mutoid man and it's badass. And my, my copy just showed up like three days ago and that's all I've listened to. The speed and complexity of what they do while also being heavy. Yeah boggles my mind i oftentimes when i'm watching mutoid man i'm like how are you just doing yeah. that like i i play guitar but i'm the kind of guitar player that is looking at his hands the whole yeah. time <laughs> whereas they're just like ripping ripping through songs just I, I i don't know how you write them and then i don't know how you play them i just i just don't know it's those. so hard for me to do two things at one time anything anything like it is so hard for me to do one thing at one that time too. i mean if it's like if i'm watching uh tv and washing the dishes like i can do that because it's i'm not really doing two things i'm engaging in one thing but i'm like physically doing another thing physically doing two things at once is really difficult for me and the idea of playing the guitar as uh uh proficiently as he does while singing is berserk just that by itself right uh so that's right that's my pick listen to it you love it it's great i got glow in the dark vinyl (laughs) which i'm pretty excited about because sometimes my lights are off and i can't find the turntable so that will help me uh, so with that, where is that record? Oh, with that, let's uh, take a word from our whoever our advertiser sponsors people are, and uh, say some nice things all about those, them. all those great people. Do you love high quality bike lights and bike pumps and tire inflators and baskets and bags and cargo racks and fenders and various other essentials any normal person needs to get through life by bike? Of course you do. Probably preaching to the choir here. You're likely up to speed on Portland Design Works. This podcast is actually sponsored by them, makers of high-quality fenders, cages, lights, and all the other stuff I just mentioned, plus some. Use code REVOLTING15 for 15% off your first PDW order. My two favorite items that they make are the Cargo Web, which keeps all my stuff intact, safe and sound in my basket, and the 3 Rincho, which is an offset 15-millimeter coated wrench with a tire lever on the end. The attentive among us might remember the infamous Dan Cheever eating peanut butter with his in an old video spot they did several years ago. Portland Design Works, they're the best. Remember, use code REVOLTING15 for 15% off your first PDW order. I'm not the boss of you, you are, but you know what's right. Portland Design Works.
Beautiful, simple gear for everyday cycling. Now we're back. Yay, sponsors! Yay, sponsors. Um, you know, most of us are homebodies who also crave adventure. <laughs> we hate leaving home a lot, a lot of days, but if you got plane tickets, you get, we got backpacks. Uh, today we're telling stories of travels, both domestic and international, the things we've seen, the mistakes we've made, and the times we probably shouldn't have made it through customs. Uh, and another topic that we are talking about before is, like, Robot comes up with all of these. I don't contribute fuck all, uh, aside from, like, you know, I join, I join in the conversation. Um, but... I was saying, like, as soon as he brought this topic up, I'm like, I got it. I like, I got tons and tons and tons of stories. I couldn't come up with this on my own, which is a bummer. I try. I went to, I said, I went to bed thinking about the fact that I don't really contribute anything to the podcast. And I woke up thinking about the fact that I don't really contribute anything to the podcast. So I think we're going to start going forward. We're just going to do like one word, like word association, like one word postage, and then Pippier mache. And then we got and then we got an hour of conversation based on this one thing. Uh but I like this topic a lot and it immediately like I was flooded with memories. So we've got multiple episodes probably just based on this topic alone. Oh, maybe we'll do um where the fuck is Carmen San Diego next week. <laughs> um <laughs> So question one is give us three crazy things that has ha- that have happened to you while traveling. And I, I'm going to I'm going to before you uh, do what you do, I'm going to say that um, one time actually it's a longer story. My best friends growing up were Mexican, uh, Mexican twins. And, and they had a little brother who was uh, who's a cool guy also. But we were like tight, 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 tight. And then they had they moved back to Mexico. And then so when I was a teenager, I went to visit them in Mexico uh, a couple times. And one time I went there and I got really drunk on the airplane. Uh I was sitting all the way in the back and you could smoke on planes then. So I was smoking and I was really drunk, but I got drunk with this Mexican guy who was going back for his sister's wedding. He was a flight attendant and he lived in London. And so we just got smashed together and he invited me. He's like, oh, you should come to my sister's wedding. And I was like, oh, okay." (laughs) So we we go through customs in Mexico City together um, and I don't know how I got through customs, honestly. And also, my friends who picked me up were like, are you are you drunk right now? And I was like, I am so drunk right now. They're like, what is going on? I was like, this is Hector. His his sister's getting married. We got to go. And then um, so we got his we got his information. We ended up going to this wedding in Mexico City and sitting at the table with the family and probably two o'clock in the morning. I was hammered again. This is back obviously when I still drank and maybe a reason why I don't drink anymore. I don't know. Uh, like 2 AM I'm like hugging his dad and like, we're both borderline (laughs) crying. (laughs) And my friend who took me to the wedding was like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Like we should not be here. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. It was, did you ever see any of the people again? Like, I like to think that that now you're like, Oh no, we exchange Christmas cards every year. Like we, we, 
I've never seen or spoken to any of those people. Like my friends in Mexico, <laughs> we're still very close. They call me every year on my birthday. I love them so much. But the but Hector, whose <laughs> wedding it was, and in retrospect, I'm pretty sure Hector was trying to like um, fuck oh, me. That was a, it. It wasn't just a friendly uh, gesture, friendly offer. It was there was ulterior motives. Yeah, but you know, but I don't think he was like a bad guy and. Hector, if you're out there, I'm sorry to dis- that I disappointed. Uh, I was maybe a little oblivious to that because I was hammered on Coors Lights, like airplane Coors Lights or something. But uh, no, I haven't. I haven't seen him since. You know, the family t- t- still talks about like who's that one? Who's that one honky that showed up? Like I, I have no yeah. idea. Dad loved him, uh, you know, <laughs> but I don't know who that guy was. I spent, I spent, a, even though I was really drunk, I spent a fair amount of that wedding feeling badly that I was encroaching on their family thing. And they were just the happiest kind, like they were so happy that this wedding was happening. It was just like a very joyful event. And then we uh, stopped in Chapultepec Park and uh, peed on a tree. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't get arrested. You were, uh, you were the Owen Wilson. You didn't have... Your counterpart, you were just solo Owen Wilson at the crashing the wedding. Yeah. Did yeah. you meet? Uh, did you meet a, a lady while you were at the wedding? Uh, no. So one of my friends, one of the twins, went to the wedding with me. Uh, he was like my, because my Spanish was terrible, still is. He so he was sort of like my interpreter and side uh, sidekick handler, and he's the one that was eventually like, oh, "Look, you have to leave." <laughs> he was your handler. Yeah, he was my handler. <laughs> I needed a handler back then. Back in my drinking days, I definitely needed a handler. Chaos, chaos, uh, uh, followed in my wake. Okay, that was one crazy thing. What's in it? Yeah, what oh, do you got? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I guess I've told this story about the South African diplomat. (laughs) Nope. I swear to God I have. Okay. Uh, I was traveling in Europe and uh, I didn't have any money. And so I was like sleeping in bushes at skate parks and just kind of generally like being a total bum. And I went to school with this kid named Eric. He's actually a really talented painter, but he said, oh, my mom and dad live in Paris. Just give him a call. Like just show up. And so I show up and I call him and I'm like, hey, I'm friends of Eric's. He said I could stay with you. And they're like, what? (laughs) Eric said nothing to us. Uh, They ended up letting me stay there for a few days and they were very, very kind. But, you know, they had a life to live and they had dinner plans or whatever. So they were like, you know, go out and see the see the town. So I was sitting at this cafe uh, and all I would do is I just order a cup of coffee and I would sit places for fucking hours and draw and write. And I was drawing in my sketchbook and I s- sort of see somebody inside the cafe sitting behind me, uh, sort of looking over my shoulder. And when I was done with my coffee, I, br- I bring my cup back in and I put it on the counter and the guy waves me over uh, and says something to me in French. And I said, mm, I-, I don't speak my, my, my French is terrible um and he said oh that's fine my my because I, I, I speak english and he said well I, well I was watching you drawing what do you do and i said well i'm just student i'm a student i'm traveling um an artist i guess for lack of a better term and he said 
Hey, I am celebrating the end of my relationship with my girlfriend tonight. Would you, do you want to join me? Uh, and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, like what the fuck do I have going on? So we have drinks, we get a car, we drive all over the city. He's like kind of pointing stuff out in my memory. This guy looked a lot like a young Mickey Rourke, like a really good looking dude. And he's like, uh, he's a diplomat. Uh, he's a South African diplomat at the embassy in Paris, which is problematic in a fucking ton of ways. But, you know, I'm like sure. 24 years old and I just was like, I'm fucking hanging out with a diplomat. This is, this is pretty badass. <laughs> and uh, we have dinner and we drink a ton of wine. And he tells me this insane story that he was at a party and he meets this woman who is a notable internationally recognized model. And they, he's got, um, I should mention, he has a wife and a daughter in Johannesburg. So he's carrying on with this woman in Paris. And he's a real rogue. Yeah, and he is, uh, they, they fall in love and they're planning on moving in together. Eventually, uh, it's after some time, he goes to her, um, he goes to her apartment. And none of her stuff is packed up. And this is a super condensed version of the story that he tells me. Uh, and he's like, okay, so what's going on? Like, are we moving in? Are we not moving in? And he kind of gets a sense that she's not really as committed or engaged as he maybe previously thought. And then he sees this picture of her with this dude. And this dude looks exactly like him. And he's like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Turns out. This woman is in a committed relationship with this cat who looks exactly, maybe even married, but a committed relationship with this cat who looks exactly like the diplomat. Uh, and he is unable, low, he has sleepy sperm or something. So he can't get her pregnant. So her plan, because she knows that this guy is fertile, is to get knocked up and tell her boyfriend that it's his because like these guys look exactly alike. So it's probably, there's not going to be any mistake here. Um, and it's like miracle baby, right? So when he finds all of this out, he's like, okay, no, we're done. And then he meets me and we fucking like tear up Paris for the night. <clears throat> and we go back to his flat and his flat is just like beautiful and huge. And like, uh, just like right down, like you look out his balcony and the Arc de Triomphe is right there. And I'm just like, holy shit, what is going on? And we hang out we drink more wine and we let and we eat chocolate and we listen to tom waits and we have all this conversation and he said man i have i have money i have status uh, you know i have like this job i have power and he said i would trade all of it to be able to draw he said i would love more than anything if you would copy your sketchbook when you get home and send me he said i'm not going to write you back but here's my card and he had a card. It was his name and it was the South African embassy in Paris. And uh, he said, just if you send me your drawings, like I would love to have a, a piece, you know, like uh, your, your, I'd love to have your journal just for just to look at and to ruminate on and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, sure. No sweat. Um, crashed out, woke up the next day, had breakfast. You know, when I got back to the States, I copied my shit and I sent it to him. And, you know, like he said, I never heard from him. And I wish that I looked through that sketchbook. I had his card for years. And I, now that, you know, I have access to the internet and stuff, I would love to, 
look up who he was or what, like find some story out about him, you know? Um, in hindsight, I was like, man, this guy probably roofied me. And he's like, this fucker can drink. Like he is not even <laughs> faced. <laughs> this guy's got a huge liver, you know, then all the nefarious, uh, directives or thoughts kind of creeped into my head. And I thought this guy was definitely trying to get a piece of this sweet ass, but I don't sure. think it, I don't think that's what the case was. I he just found this random anonymous dude, and you know he was like, "I love art. I wish I could draw. Let's celebrate the end of my relationship together." Let's rewind to the part where the woman identifies someone who looks like her significant other, but with better sperm, and is like, "Ah ha ha." <laughs> Uh-huh. Is this so fantastic that it couldn't happen? I mean, like in hindsight and with perspective, I'm older, I'm wiser. This on paper seems like total bullshit, right? Um, but why? Well, but why couldn't it be real? It's, my older son is a liar. <laughs> um, <laughs> he loves, but he's not a malicious liar. He's not like. Oh, no, I didn't kill that yeah. guy. He's more like, hey, did you know that there are 40 species of tree, of leafless tree in China? He just says he loves to lie to you about like stuff that's so like and if you take a, if you take something like that, it's no matter how fantastic if you say it with enough conviction you can make anybody believe anything, and it's so fun. But like you said, it's not malicious. It's it's like funny storytelling. I don't know. Like you get to create this own reality for yourself. Yes, and he has the ability to introduce these lies at very opportune moments. Like they, you don't expect them, and he's not like telling a joke, and he just straight mm-hmm. faces them. Hey, did you guys hear? <laughs> you know, like, and um. And so the what my point is that the key to those things is they need to be just plausible. Mm-hmm. Just plausible. And I think the story you just told is just plausible, which is why while you were telling it, I was like, fuck this podcast. Steve and I are now producing shows for Netflix. <laughs> Cause that's a Netflix show right there. The diplomat. I think we gotta um we gotta change the South Africa detail because then you get the whole apartheid angle and that's all fucked up um this is a caper i don't this it's a jake i'll never know i'll never know if like if there were nefarious motivations or or it or it was real or this guy was just a dude with money who was bored and wanted to weave this fantastical tale for an unassuming kid or Oh, I mean, what was his, if, if, if that was the case, like, what was the motivation just to tell a story? Well, here's how I read it. And it's, I mean, we've both told a story that ended with, in retrospect, I think that guy was trying to fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) So either we're both, you know, a little bit narcissistic or... Uh, I think possibly what happened is that the girlfriend in the story he told you was a boyfriend. So he just invented all the all the other parts of it. I think he might have invented the other parts. Oh, man. 
That's just that's just a guess. But I like to think that what he told you was true. I like to think that it's all factual. It all seemed and I've got like a pretty I've always had a pretty finely tuned bullshit meter. Like if I had any sense, you know, granted, I was just like, fuck, I was like the first time I was in Paris, I was seeing all this stuff for the first time. I was told my mind was totally blown and I wasn't in super I was kind of a mess. Like, like I said, I've been sleeping in bushes. Like I was, a, a kind of, I hadn't gotten, I got jumped uh, later on in Holland and got in a fight with these guys. And then I got my neck. We had that yeah, story on I the got podcast. My neck cut yeah. And I abscessed and stuff. So like, I wasn't looking super great at this point. I guess maybe it was early, early on enough in my trip that I wasn't like, I didn't have stinky cheese smeared all over my pants and like a bag of fucking goose liver in my backpack or whatever I'd been traveling with up until that point. Uh, uh-huh. So maybe, you know, I looked res- respectable enough. I don't know. I don't know. I'll, ne- I'll never know. He could have tried to roofie me, but I didn't, I got a sense that everything was fine. It was a, it was a super fun experience. It's funny how, like I have these experiences obviously also, um, and you think to yourself, why didn't that go horribly wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, like on my trip, I certainly could have been arrested by the Mexican police at the airport coming in because I was not right. It could have, uh, um, but, uh, but also like, it, I feel like we're inundated with all of these stories about people getting sold into human trafficking and all. This. It's just like horror story, oh, yeah, horror, yeah, story yeah, horror, that's, story, that's horror story, horror story, horror story. But what about yeah. the odd event that somebody is just like, hey man, this kid is... Like, really funny, and I'm going to my cousin's wedding, and, like, that'd be kind of a hoot to bring. Because that's something I would do, you know, if I was a diplomat and I saw somebody making some cool drawings in their book, that's something I would do. So I I can't assume that everybody has, has, uh, has, like, evil intent, you know what I mean? No, and I think you miss out on a lot of life if you are constantly thinking about the evil that awaits you. And uh, it's worth mentioning, like, as as men, we don't have to think as hard about coming to harm. So, like, I don't want to just... I don't want to just fly by that. I don't want to just say, oh, you shouldn't worry. Uh, be open to life because there's a lot of people who would be putting themselves in in much harmfuller way than I am and have. But I also think that I have been very lucky to have some great experiences and to not have been arrested or killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is an important a qual- a qualification to make that we have this you know, freedom to roam that, uh, not only people, uh, not gender, uh, and race, uh, or, or sexual identity, all of those things included absolutely for sure. Like being a, being a white dude is like the perfect camouflage. Um, not perfect camouflage, but in this instance, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Well, it's, it, it cuts both ways. Everyone can identify you as the asshole. <laughs> you stand out in that regard. But it is also a weird sort of immunity shield. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, what's you, you got another one? Oh. Um, uh, 
Well, I just had the, like, my dad is Welsh and most of my family live in Wales and I traveled there a bunch when I was uh, young as well. And one summer I went there and I would stay on my uncle's farm or one or the other of my uncle's farms that were sort of jammed together and they farmed together and they had a, they had a ATV, but back when they had three wheelers, you know, they stopped making three wheelers cause they tip over yeah. so easy. Yeah, Everybody, everybody who touched one of those died. So they stopped making them. Yeah. So they had one of those and not only did they have one of those, but they were like, we don't want to entertain this fucking American nephew. <laughs> for weeks on end. So why don't you just, you kids go out on the three wheeler. So my cousin Haley and I, my cousin Joanne and Hazel, we would all go out on the, on the three wheeler. And the three wheeler was not just dangerous because it only had the three wheels, but also because the brake on the right hand was tied on with a rag. It had like the screw that held the (laughs) lever on had sheared off and they had just tied it on with a rag. So before you started driving it, you had to like put it in the right position and then hold it. And if you went over too big a bump, meanwhile, we're trying to jump the thing. We're trying to get the thing off the ground. And if you lost your grip on it, um, you had no brakes. And so we ripped around for weeks on this thing. And then finally, two of my cousins, I think, I think it was Joanne and Haley. I forget which one of them was on the back there. We were in the farmyard and the, the driveway was this long, wide uh, hill. And they tried to stop and the brake came unwrapped. <laughs> and they were like, no brakes, no brakes. They go right down the bottom of the farmyard into where the... Um, where the pigsty used to be. It's this, this like uh, a cinder block wall and they just hit it nose first. And whoever was on the back, I think it was Haley popped like straight up in the air. Like the thing went like that and it just like catapulted her up like three or four feet in the air. Uh, Neither of them was hurt, which is why it was fucking hilarious. Uh, But it was definitely one of those things where, Oh, we had weeks and weeks and plenty of gas to just rip around on this farm and try to hurt ourselves. Like we rolled the thing a couple times. I've known people who got really fucked up on those things, like really like life changing kind of fucked up. It's pretty. Oh, the opportunity is there. It's pretty hilarious to me. I always said, like, if you make it out of your adolescence uh, and into, let's see, your 20s. Like you pretty much invincible. Like you, you have all your fingers. You haven't been shot in the eye with a BB or a bow and arrow. You haven't knocked your teeth out. Like you have this window where you can get away with anything. And then there's a shorter window, I guess, into your early to mid, I'd say 30 to like 40. You, you're, you got a free ride. And then 40, you're like, oh, man, I have prostate cancer and like I, yeah. and skin cancer and like all of oh, these. No, I got lupus. Everything else comes into play at yeah. that point. But man, you just got like you're just gunning for fucking fun up until that point. Well, you we got to get another one of your stories in before we go to the would you rather because we're we're running out of time quickly but i will say that if i hadn't gotten sober i definitely would have made would not have made it out of the first window i got sober when i was 20 um because i was i was on a rocket sled to hell um but 
that's a story for another day. Uh, give us another one. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I I don't remember what year it was. Let's say 98 or 99. Uh, I went up to, my parents were living in a small town in Yahats. I mean, in Oregon called Yahats. And that's Y-A-C-H-A-T-S. And I think it's... Uh, I feel like that might be a plausible lie you just told, but go no, it's on. Def- it's definitely a place. It's, uh, it's, it's the local... Um, I think it means like where the mountains meet the sea, but really, really oh. pretty place, but a tiny town that you wouldn't even know that you drove through it if you drove through it kind of place. And so my sister and I went up there to surprise my mom for her, whatever birthday she was having at that time. And, um, after a long weekend with them, I popped up to Portland uh, where I saw my friends Greg and Robin, and I was hanging out with them, and I was in one room, and Greg came in, and he, I overheard him talking to Robin, and said, "Ah, oh, that Jeff, I saw Jeff Holt. He's in town." And I was like, "What, Jeff Holt? Who at the time was running the Tioga Mountain Bike Tires program?" I was like, "What the fuck is what Jeff doing here?" Jeff was like one of my one of my all time favorite industry people, and. Uh, and he said, oh, he's like on the mountain bike circuit right now, because that was, you know, at a time when the nationals happened all over the country. And it was like a big circus and the GT truck would go and the Trek truck and all of the all of the, you know, factory trucks would come and put their tents up and stuff. Bike uh, content. Oh. So yeah, bikes. Uh, took the bus to Portland, was hanging out with them, uh, overheard Jeff was coming to, or was in town. So uh, uh, Greg and I went to the bar to meet him that night and jeff goes hey you want to go to uh snoqualmie with me which is in washington there's a big uh, downhill race i was like yeah sure why why the fuck not like i don't have anywhere to go i have a backpack i have a and a skateboard i have like one or two pairs of pants and a shirt and a couple pairs of socks like i had packed for a weekend i said yeah sure and then and he said you want to go to um uh, Canmore, which is in like uh, near Banff, um, in Alberta. I was like, I think that's right. Isn't that right? I think that's right. I think that's um, right. I said, yeah. Well, I've got some friends in Bellingham. So this is twenty-one years ago or something. I said, yeah, I got some friends in Bellingham. I'll call them on the way through town. If they pick up, I'll stay in Bellingham. If they don't pick up, I'll go to Canada. And they didn't pick up, so I went to Canada, and Hurl from Cars of Coffins was wrenching for the Katera mountain bike team at the time. And uh, so, and that was when we first met. We'd been like pen pals and sent postcards and fanzines and stuff to each other. Um, but he's like, hey, you want to go to Minneapolis with me? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go to Minneapolis with you. So then we drove to Minneapolis, <laughs> and then he's like... And then we're there, and then we got to go to Conyers, Georgia, for the next race, and then we go to Vail for the next race. I think this is the route that we took, or maybe it was Utah or somewhere. And then we go to Mammoth. So I went away for a weekend with a backpack and a skateboard, and I came back like two and a half months later. <laughs> and uh, it was a total gas. Like just skated and made friends, and you know, watched mountain bike races and. Um, it's so fun and so innocent and so you know I like met Steve Pete like at a in a bar brawl like that was when he and I first met because he was racing for Orange, met Shams March, uh, Lisa Share you know like it was just like I was just this fucking ne'er do well that was tagging along with Jeff. Uh, got chased in Vale for there was um, 
Marla Streb had just won her event and they were doing the Star Spangled Banner or whatever. And I shot a bunch of bottle rockets off that Jeff and I had bought somewhere in the South, like right at the bombs bursting in air part. And the cops fucking chased me around the venue. It was just so sweet. <laughs> Dave Toll was working for Shimano. Dave Toll, the race announcer. I became friends with him. I was just like, I was like the new kid in class and everything was so exciting and so fun and so light and like man i feel like i'm a part of the bike industry and uh one fun thing to note is we were at the mammoth race and i was like well fuck it i'm gonna go find somewhere to heckle and i grabbed a backpack i had a 12 pack of beer in it and i just wandered into the woods and i find the spot i'm wearing a sleeveless cowboy shirt a black cowboy hat and probably cut off shorts and vans. And I'm out there just like busting people's chops, just razzing people, drinking beer. And this random dude walks up and he also looks like Eddie Spaghetti from the Super Suckers. And he is carrying beer and he has a sleeveless cowboy shirt. And he's basically like my non bizarro me. And then he's like, yeah. oh, I just came, I was just looking for a place to heckle. And I was like, oh, <laughs> are we best friends? And so we spent the day fucking hassling people. And then went our separate ways. I never saw him again. You're like, oh, if we put our beds on top of each other, we'll have a lot more room for activities. <laughs> oh, it was so. It was that was such a fun summer. So, uh, yeah, you know, like you think you. I love that story. Going to your mom's for the weekend, and you end up coming home two and a half months later with stories that to happens. tell. Twenty one years later, <laughs> in, uh, on a podcast, which I didn't. I didn't even know what that meant back then. I love it. Um. Okay, I got a would you rather now that we've told a few stories. And this one I don't like very much. I I wrote it, but I don't like it. It makes me That's a great sad. Setup. Go on. Would yeah. you rather your partner be deeply in love with you and you only kind of like them or vice Ugh. versa? So, what's the term? Unre- unrequented unrequited, unrequited love. love. Yeah. You are crazy. Let's put this in practical terms. You are absolutely like blind, head over heels, can do no wrong in love with Brittany. And she's kind of like, <laughs> I mean, or, she's, li- she's, she's likely listening to this. Um, uh, so I'm going to just acknowledge that in advance and say, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of how it is. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe I'm going to pick that one because it's the, and I'm used I to it. I knew you were going to say that. I still laughed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Think about as as in love as you've ever been just drunk on this person. And they're, and they're kind of like, well, I'm just sort of here because, like, you know, you make good eggs or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, or you don't gosh. really care about them and they, like, worship the ground you walk on. I mean, I'm not trying to um, toot my own uh, uh, whatever uh, here, but I think uh, I had a relationship or two prior to meeting my wife that was a little bit like that, and it's fucking terrible. I I, I would choose I would choose to be the one deeply, deeply in love because then at least you're deeply, deeply in love. Yeah, but it's not reciprocal. Yeah. Reciprocal, it's not reciprocated. You you still stand you because if they're gonna be like. Oh, well, you know, peace out. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go like, basically they can have like multiple other relationships. They can do whatever. And you're just, you're just blindly committed to them. So you're always, you're still going to be let down. Your heart is still going to get broken, even though you're not going to go anywhere. 
Yeah, but at least I care. I think that's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's fu- it's terrible, but it's. I think it's better to love tragically than to live a weird life of passive indifference. That well, doesn't mean that you're going to be passively indifferent to somebody else, though. But you're still going to have also, me in this relationship. Also, let me just say, I agree. This is terrible. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. What What's your answer? Uh, I think I would rather be. I think I'd rather be indifferent. I don't know why, because I'm I'm tired mm. of fucking hurting. Mm. I've. I, I, Gosh, this podcast took a hard turn. I, I live with I live with just kind of like a low grade broken heart now. You know, that's just yeah. my reality, yeah. and uh, I'm tired of it. But just because I'm tired of it doesn't mean that it changes anything. I've been thinking about this, and I know I'm seeing everything through the lens of Django dying recently, but. I loved Django very intensely and my heart was broken. I would, and I've just been thinking about like, initially I was like, that hurts so bad. I never want to do this again. And then subsequently I'm like, that hurt real bad, but it was entirely worth it. Mm -hmm. So that's where, that's what I, that's where I'm coming from right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is uh, Would You Rather for today, uh, Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. You know, talk to me in six months, and uh, I might have an entirely different perspective on this. But at least for right now, that's where I stand. So uh, we have travel stories. We talked a little bit about some stuff, and then we talked, changed the subject, talked about some other stuff. And, uh, hey, here we are at an hour and some minutes. Thanks for listening. Big appreciation to those who've been hitting the tip jar at the Cycling Independent. Uh, we like not working for free. Uh, we do, grant, you know, we're in the bike industry, so it could be argued that we right. do. Uh, for those who like the podcast, you can subscribe at the Cycling Independent for, uh, for short money or drop a few bucks in the tip jar so we can continue to afford boxed mac and cheese. So on behalf of the Cycling Independent and Real Evolving Podcast, I'm Steve Wolf.